Welcome to TCC Alive, a podcast of Tulare Community Church. Good morning. And what a good morning it is. Um, just this new member Sunday. You know, uh, the world can uh, feel kind of bleak and dark at times and antagonistic towards Christianity. And isn't it a comfort uh, to see people standing up and professing Christ as Lord? And our family is growing and Christ is the head of our church. That's great. Uh, Listen here to a reading from the book that we love. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Canarius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, open up our eyes, open up our ears, open up our hearts to be receptive to you. In all the busyness and chaos of our days, uh, let's make room for you this morning. Keep us fixed on the light of the world, on the word made flesh, on the author of our salvation. In your name I pray, amen. Uh, So that's a familiar passage to us. It's a familiar story. Even if you didn't grow up in the church, you're probably pretty familiar with that narrative. It's pretty ubiquitous. We hear it. Uh, We hear it pretty much every year. The same old sort of familiar kinds of sermons, the same old familiar songs, and that can feel kind of uh, cozy and comfortable like comfort food, right? It's a food that has that kind of nostalgic, uh, sentimental quality to it, or uh, comfort movies, or comfort books, right? Those, Those ones that we've read or watched a thousand times before, but we can always just pick up again and just kind of sink into it. Well, we are in a series called Home for the Holy Days. And I think when we hear home, right, the idea of coming back home, I think we tend to sort of think about uh, coming back to something of comfort that's familiar and has a certain nostalgic, sentimental quality to it, like a Thomas Kincaid painting or something like that. And this season uh, is filled with nostalgia and sentimentality to it. Now, I quite like Christmas. I I like this season. I'm not a Scrooge about it. You know, actually, heck, I I wrote a Christmas book, which just coincidentally I have right here. (laughs) It's called uh, Santa Sweatshop, and it's, you know, available on Amazon or digital downloads. Um, The reason I'm bringing this up is that right now we're doing a special offer. 
you buy one, you get the second one for the exact same price. So you don't want to miss out on that. Uh, but clearly, I like this holiday. We like this holiday, despite the misgivings that we might have with some of it, right? The secularization of it, the, the consumerism, commercialism of it, that, you know, it's attached to it. We don't really like that. But despite all of that, we really like the holiday. I like the holiday. But I never loved it more than when I was a kid. There's nothing better. You get off of school, you get great food and presents, and it was just filled with wonder and awe and magic and anticipation. You know, I, I remember it felt like December just lasted for forever. And nowadays, I, I just blink and we're halfway through this thing. It's not the same. It's not the same. And we can try to sort of, you know, rekindle that feeling. It's like, I'm just going to be more festive. I'm going to put out more lights. I'm going to double down on the traditions, right? Just trying to capture that nostalgia. But that's not what we're doing here. You know, when we talk about home as Christians, we're not talking about some place that we've been before. We're talking about what is yet to come. And some of these traditions, they might be old, but they're not meant really to invoke some fondness for Christmases of yesteryear. No, they're meant to celebrate the hope that we have for tomorrow and a future home. We're not looking backward. We're looking homeward. And as Christians, as believers in Christ, uh, we are closer home than we've ever been before. We are closer this year than we were last year. And that should be a source of joy and encouragement for us. But something can happen. That's why I want us to look at Numbers. Numbers chapter 11 beginning in verse 4. So God here has freed his people, the Israelites, from slavery and bondage in Egypt, and he is leading them through the desert, through the wilderness, to the promised land. He is leading them home. And then it says this, verse 4. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. They are nostalgic for their slavery and their bondage. They had free food. No freedom, but free food. A variety of food. It's remarkable what we can be nostalgic for. They are looking backward, not homeward. 
You know, this motif of God bringing us to a new home, this runs throughout the entirety of Scripture. Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. This is the call of Abraham. It says this, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Step out in faith. Put your faith in me, and I will lead you to your new home. And we talked about Sukkot, right? That festival of tabernacles or the festival of booze where the Israelites would celebrate by uh, building temporary shelters and they would live in them for a week. And that was a reminder to them of how God faithfully led them through the wilderness when they didn't have a home and brought them to their new home. And that's a picture for us. It says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, that temporary shelter, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. And scripture constantly calls us things like aliens, exiles, foreigners. Because uh, that's who Jesus was. Jesus was a man not at home in this world. From the very beginning. From the very beginning. There was no room for him. He was an outcast. And he says this, Matthew chapter 8 verse 20, Foxes have dens and birds have nests. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He says this, John chapter 8, verse 14, My testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. He's not talking about Nazareth. You know, sometimes Jesus even laments being here. He says these words, Matthew 17, 17, You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? I think Jesus is feeling a little homesick there. It's kind of understandable. He says these words, John chapter 15, verse 18, If the world hates you, keep in mind, it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. See, when we put our faith in him, we become like him. We become foreigners in this world, and the world hates us like it hated him. And we suffer like he suffered. It says this, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. And as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Philippians chapter 3 verse 10. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Romans eight seventeen. 
Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Well, make no mistake about it, we are not home yet. We're in the wilderness. We're not home. We see glimpses of it. That's what we're doing here. This is glimpses of home. Right? We share Christ with one another. That's glimpses of him, glimpses of home, as it says in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. We see glimpses through a glass darkly. But we're in the wilderness. And sometimes it can be hard to see anything other than our hardships or our troubles. And just like the Israelites, we can find ourselves looking backward and not homeward. Start thinking, I I just wish things were back the way they were. And start wandering back to Egypt. That's what Pastor Steve was talking about last week, right? People who are wandering away and they need to stop, turn around, and start moving homeward again. You know, to Jesus' own disciples, he says this. John chapter 16, verse 31. Do you now believe? Jesus replied. The time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, scattered to your own homes, your own false sense of security and comfort, nostalgia, wandering back toward Egypt back to slavery and bondage when God has so much better for us. He declares these words, John chapter 14, verse 1, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Sort of marriage imagery, isn't it, right? In the Roman world, it was customary for sons to build on rooms to their father's household. And so this property would just grow with all these new additions and become this estate. It's marriage kind of language. You know, there's a line in the film Sleepless in Seattle. The protagonist in that movie, his wife has passed away, and he's talking about how he fell in love with her. And he says, it was just a million little things. And when you add them all up, it just meant that we were supposed to be together. And I knew it. I knew it since the first moment I touched her. I was taking her hand to help her out of a car, and I knew. 
It was like coming home. Only to no home I'd ever known. Yeah, there's something in that. You know, when we encounter Christ, when our hearts become inclined to Him, it's like coming home. Only to no home we'd ever known. Jesus says these words, chapter 14, verse 23 in John. Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. That's quite a statement. Do we love him? Do we know him? You know, that's really the only way to handle the wilderness. Do we love him? Do we know him? On the night that Jesus was betrayed, it says this in John chapter 14, verse 8. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you such a long time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Why do you say, show us the Father? I was thinking about uh, John the Baptist. There's an interesting account in Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? You know, John the Baptist really feels like a man who is also not of this world. He's alone. You know, his parents were really old when they had him, so they've probably long since passed away. It's really unlikely that he had any siblings. And he's literally living in the wilderness. Eats locusts and honey. His fashion is really not in vogue. His manner really sort of understood who he was. He says, oh, I'm not the Messiah, but I am the prophet who came to prepare the way for the Messiah. And he seems to know who Jesus is too. When he sees him, he says, oh, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he says, oh, I'm unfit to untie his sandals. And when Jesus comes to him for baptism, he says, I need baptism from you. And when he baptizes him, it says that the heavens opened and the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove. And he heard the voice of God the Father say, this is my son whom I love and with whom I am well pleased. And yet, as he's languishing in prison, about to go to his death, it seems as though he started to wonder, are you the one, or should we look for someone else? Maybe, the, maybe Jesus wasn't conquering like he thought the Messiah would 
Maybe his life wound up in a way he didn't hope for. I don't know, but, uh, you know, if even John the Baptist can start to wonder and start to think about this, well, uh, then certainly so can we. Are you disappointed with God? Is this a hard season for you? Do you find yourself looking backward and not homeward? Are you longing for some yesteryear? Are you drifting back toward Egypt? If only we had meat to eat, that'd be enough. If only we saw the Father, that would be enough. If only our lives were just a little bit different, well, that'd be enough. And Jesus says, don't you know me? Even after all this time. You know, the incarnation is meant, at least in part, to show us God more clearly. I love what it says in Hebrews. It says this, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. He is the exact representation of God the Father. And he demonstrates to us who he is by what he does. That's what he tells John. Right? He points to scripture and he says this, Matthew chapter 11, verse 4, Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And he says something similar to Philip and the rest of the disciples. John chapter 14 verse 11. Believe me. When I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves, we can believe him because of what he has done. You know, whatever hardship or trouble that we may face in the wilderness, whatever hardship or trouble we might endure, Christ endured more. Jesus bore the sin of the world. Jesus bore the wrath of God. And that is a suffering that none of us will even remotely come close to. And he did that for us. He was a man of sorrows so that we didn't have to be. From the very beginning. There was no room in the end for the Son of Man. But he prepares room for us in his Father's house. The Son of Man had no place to lay his head. But he offers us rest in him. He was despised and rejected. We are accepted and loved by God. 
He had no beauty. We esteemed him not. But he lets us share in his glory. He clothes us in glory. He was mocked, insulted. But he calls us friend and beloved son, daughter. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, but by his wounds we're healed. He was assigned a grave among the wicked, but in him we have life and righteousness. That's what he's done. Don't you know him? You know, through the incarnate king, through the word made flesh, we see the depths of God's love. We see the vastness of his mercy. We see the richness of his grace. And that's someone we can trust. And who is faithful and will guide us through the wilderness and bring us home. That's what we declare, isn't it, when our brothers and our sisters in Christ pass away. The Lord called them home. This is what it says in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. That's what we're coming home to. Not to the old or the familiar the nostalgic or the sentimental, but to something new and far, far better. And that's what we're celebrating. That's why he came to a world that hated him and had no room for him, so that he could take us by the hand and lead us home, only to a home we'd never known before. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. If you want to know more about the ministries and mission of Tulare Community Church, visit us at tccalive.org.